0: And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to have a, a, what I think is a very simple message this morning, which is good, because it means I understand it. Um, it. Easy to wrap our minds around. And we're going to talk about treasure. Now, when you hear the word treasure, there's, there's certain things that kind of pop into your mind. And I asked my wife, I'm like, what, what questions pop into your mind? And she gave all the wrong answers. Because kids, kids, when you hear the word treasure, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Pirates! Absolutely. And pirates are cool. Take a look at this picture. What do you think about that? (laughs) You see that, buddy? Just a couple weeks ago, it was International Talk Like a Pirate Day. And if you would walk into Krispy Kreme and talk like a pirate, they would give you a free donut. So I I learned all kinds of words that day. You know, I was going to share lots of words. If you dressed up like a pirate, they gave you a free dozen donuts. And so we walk in, and Colin says, give me my treasure. <laughs> <clears throat> He's embarrassed. How cute. I've never seen that before. Well, you might, not, you might not think that Krispy Kreme is treasure. Maybe it's the forbidden fruit, you know, in your life. But the truth is, we all kind of love these stories of treasure, Treasure. And you you remember being a kid and having the, the little treasure hunt map, you know, the scavenger hunt kind of thing where there's a prize, you know, the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. There's something out there. And the truth is, it's not just little kids that dig this kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, there's a report out today when you Google treasure. The very first thing that comes up is September 3rd, 2013, which is what? A month ago. The Schmidt family, uh, off the coast of Fort Pierce, Florida, 150 yards off the coast of Fort Pierce, Florida, in 15 feet of crystal clear water, find three hundred thousand dollars worth of three hundred year old Spanish gold chains. Nobody knew where this wreck was, and this family happened to be diving, and they come up with these chains and gold coins that had been lost to history. They had found treasure. And now they're famous. $300,000 in the grand scheme of treasure, it's not all that significant, but they have making their tour on the television shows. They are wearing their chains. They look like rap stars now. um, Proud of the things that they have found. And so for us today, we want to hear what Jesus has to say about treasure. And so we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. Now the minute we say Matthew chapter 6, those of you that are familiar with your Bibles will know that Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are some of the most beautiful words of our Savior in all of Scripture. You see, these chapters are known as a collection of sayings that Jesus said at a particular moment in time, known as the Sermon on the mount. Jesus had all of these people uh, following him, and he lays out in the sermon on the mount the ethics of his kingdom. He says, I'm not a king like any king you would know. I'm a king whose kingdom is not of this world. But if you want to be a part of my kingdom, there are specific ways that you are to live, to be a kingdom citizen. There are certain rights privileges and responsibilities, and Jesus lays this out for us. And so this morning, perhaps even more than on other occasions, we are listening to His words. We are hearing His voice as He tells His people how to live. And Jesus has words for us about treasure, and it doesn't have anything to do with your bank account, your CDs, or your 401k. It's been said that Jesus says more about money or possessions or stuff about ten times more than he ever says about heaven or hell. And so to ignore this vital topic in our Lord's own repertoire, we would ignore it to our own peril. Because I tell you what, it's really easy for your stuff to own you. It's really easy to get used to paying all these bills. And we've already looked at the fact that we don't own anything. God owns it all, and He lends it to us to manage for Him. And so today, I want us to hear these words from Jesus' lips as He teaches us how to weigh what matters most in life very carefully. Three simple points this morning. And beginning in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, we see the first principle that we are warned about having the right treasure. Jesus says, "Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal." Jesus begins with a command to Stop. He says, Do not store up. The force of it is stop storing up. Stop being so obsessed with piling up earthen bound treasures. And he gives three very simple uh, word pictures, illustrations about why we should stop doing this. He talks about the moth that attacks things that are perishable. And in this day and age, uh, you didn 't have cedar lined closets and walk-in master you know master bedrooms. It, you had very few garments, but the moth was famous for snacking on your clothes, and your clothes would wear out it would It would come from without you, you don 't want to see them in your house, but when they came, you wanted to watch out for the materials that your clothes were made out of but it 's not just the moth attacking your clothing it is Rust that is also attacking perishable metals. And the moth kind of flutters from outside your house and comes in and eats up all your stuff. What's rust do? You know, do you just need to stay out of that side of the town to stay away from the rust? No, rust is inherent within metals. It kind of comes from within. There's a decay that happens if you're not careful to keep your metals oiled. Keep them in good shape. And so you have dangers from without the moth. You have this decay that comes from within. And then on top of all of that, you have thieves. You have to worry about other people. It's not just nature, bugs and rust. It's perverse people who break in and steal and will take anything. I don't know if you've ever been broken into. Three days before Christmas last year, uh, while my parents had all of their... Christmas presents under the Christmas tree. They come home at lunch to find their house decimated by someone who had broken in. And of course, there were some really big ticket items, TV, DVD player, um, stereo that were stolen. And then there were just the goofiest things that were taken. Drawers just emptied into trash bags. Why did they want my dad's undershirts? I don't know. Maybe they were looking for gold, thought something was hidden in there. But you have thieves who come in and take anything, but they're especially seeking your valuables. Your gold, your jewels, the stuff that the, the moth and, and rust don't want, they're really happy to take. They'll be glad to lighten your load. And there's a very important lesson from these three illustrations. And it's this, it's that an earth-centered life is futile. It is futile. Everything you have can be destroyed from without, from within, or taken forcibly away from you. And so he's warning us, have, have the right treasure. And he continues on in verse 20. And he, it's important for us here to note what he doesn't say. He says, uh, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal verse 20 but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal you notice what Jesus doesn't say he doesn't say get out of the treasure hunting business he says don't lay up don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth But he doesn't say, get out of looking for treasure. He just says, look for the real treasure. He says, stop this and start this. Instead of treasuring down, he says, treasure up. Look for the real treasure. Look for not earthly treasures. Look for heavenly treasure. Look for spiritual treasure. Look for real treasure. You see, Jesus knows man Kind is inherently drawn to treasure. Are you drawn to treasure? You know, what happens when you see a um, quarter on the ground? Well, if you're my kids, a um, you know, WWE wrestling match breaks out in the middle of, you know, Walmart. Money! Listen, kids, that's embarrassing. I'll give you a quarter, get up off the floor, and stop. <laughs> it's pennies, too. It doesn't matter. Man, they are non-denominational when it comes to money, you know? Um, They will make the rounds and see what they can get. Man is inherently drawn to treasure. If you were swimming on the beach and you stubbed your toe on something, you go, hey, I wonder what that is, and you pull up a gold coin, you're going to tell everybody you know about that. I found treasure. Jesus knows that there is this thing in our nature that wants to find things of worth. And he tells us, just make sure that when you're looking for treasure you're looking for treasure that really matters. It kills me how men and women will knock themselves out with their job for stuff that doesn't matter so they can have a 70-inch flat-screen TV. Really? Really. You see, Jesus noted the perishable nature of earthly treasures and added to that Whether moth, rust, or thieves take it, everything you own will one day be owned by someone else. you realize that? There are no U-Hauls attached to a hearse. You can't take it with you. And so he tells us, look for spiritual treasure. What's spiritual treasure? Gold, you can get your hands on. You can put it in your pocket. You can wear it around your neck. What is spiritual treasure? I think very simply, they are good works and good character that don't decay and they'll follow you after death. Jesus says something in verse 21 that is very hard for us to swallow, very hard for us to understand. He says this For where, excuse me, for where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. You see, just as your body can't be in two places at the same time, neither can your heart. You cannot set your heart on things of this earth and have it set on things of God's kingdom at the same time. If you're seeking earthly treasures there's something that Jesus is telling you to watch out for. And it is the danger of a misplaced heart. Your heart was created to be His throne. Your heart was created to be a place that would look at things that are of ultimate value. And if you let your vision fall, your heart will be misplaced into the kingdom. It was never intended to be a part of. C.S. Lewis said, if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. That's a pretty good word. Jesus moves on and tells us a second thing. He's concerned about this. He's concerned about us looking for the wrong treasure. And so he tells us how to avoid this danger of a misplaced heart by encouraging us to have the right perspective. To have the right perspective. Look at verses 22 and 23. You get this really kind of strange Comment thrown right into the middle of this whole section. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, oh, how great is the darkness. He's talking about treasure. And then all of a sudden he gets into this illustration of the eye. What is that? all about? Well, if we distilled it down to its most simple meaning, Jesus is telling us that it's it's important for us to have accurate powers of perception. It is important to see clearly. Now, you know this if you drive a car. I could tell my eyeglass prescription was not what it used to be when I had to get under the sign for the overpass to see which one I wanted to take not a good thing. And the problem is we don't tend to think of vision as a spiritual issue. But you know what? What treasure you look for, Jesus here says, is based upon your perspective on life. And if your perspective on life is get it fast while you can, then you know what your treasure is going to be. You see, as Christians, we must have the foresight and the commitment to walk in the light So that way we can see down the road and make consistent choices to serve and please God. So the question this morning, do you perhaps have spiritual cataracts? You can still see. But do you have to squint? Is that you, Will? Do you have to squint to see what's going on? Has the world so fuzzied up your eyes? Or to use another analogy, when you're driving now that the fall's here and you leave your car out instead of parking it in the garage and you get all that stuff on your windshield and your car hasn't warmed up enough yet to kind of get rid of all of it? You ever tried to drive? You see people with a little, you know, they've got a little porthole like this big to drive through, you know, and they're driving like this. Do you have a foggy, You have a foggy windshield. And the truth is, Jesus is addressing this message to people who want to follow him. He says, oh, listen, we're Christians. Of course we've got the right perspective. We're not pagans. We don't value pagan things. But yet, Christians, man, on Black Friday, you could have a church service at Walmart. We'll be there with our credit cards and with our debt. And we'll be living just like our next-door neighbors who make no claim to be loyal to Christ. Friends, we're as materialistic as the next person. And that's a danger for our culture. And so he's saying, don't be be spiritually blind. Don't have spiritual cataracts. Don't be nearsighted. So how can you tell if riches have clouded your spiritual vision? How can you tell if riches have clouded Your spiritual vision. Friends, the the only answer is, what do you do with what you have? What do you do? You see, the truth of the matter is, riches aren't so bad. The The Bible does not condemn riches. As a matter of fact, one of the Ten Commandments the last time I checked was, Thou shalt not steal, okay? Jesus endorses private ownership of stuff. Which is why he says, don't steal. It's a sin. Riches aren't so bad people are. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. So riches are not evil in and of themselves. As a matter of fact, there are many things that the Bible says money is good for. You are commanded. You must, if you are a Christian, provide for your family so that they are not a burden to others. You know, the Bible goes on to say that if you don't work, somebody finish that verse for me, if you don't work, you don't eat. No, that's not a a comment on the welfare system, it's just saying, do what you need to do. Don't be lazy, be industrious. And so the Bible says you have to provide for your family so that they're not a burden to others. The Bible says you have to make provision for the future. It's okay to plan ahead. It's okay to... Plan for retirement. To plan for your kids to go to school. You need to plan ahead. It's okay to help the needy. You know, we'll have bell ringers outside in just a few weeks. We'll have prisoners that we're doing things for when it comes to Christmas. We'll have shoeboxes that we're filling to send to kids. That's fine for us. We, we need money to be able to do that. We need to encourage gospel work. We, we take up a huge offering. Uh, I think it's $175 million dollars. At Christmas to serve international missions. You're part of a coalition of 46,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. And collectively, we'll give $175 million to missions at Christmas time. That's amazing. And so, we need to use our money to encourage gospel work. The Bible even says 1 Timothy 6 17, if you don't believe me, the Bible even says it's okay to enjoy the nice things that the Creator gives. It's okay. Jesus is not advocating poverty. The goal of this message, which I'm really glad for, is not that we sell everything we have and become monks. Shave our head, p- put the robe on, and we're monks. We don't have, that is not what Jesus is getting. The problem is that God gives us good things, And originally we understand that they're good and we use them the way that they're supposed to be used. But what happens? We take the good things and we turn them around and we use them for not good things. I keep this PG. Intimacy is a great thing. But God says that intimacy has some limits on where you get to play with that toy. And when you step out, when you trespass, when you cross the line, it's not a good thing anymore. It's a perverse thing. And we've forgotten as a culture to blush at that, that there are some things that are out of bounds. You know, a a stick, a piece of wood can be a good thing. You can use it to prop something up, you can put it in a fire, or you can bonk someone over the head with it. We take God's good things And they begin to morph and we allow them to have a place in our heart that they were never intended to have. And so the love of money is what the problem is. And we see bodies littered throughout the pages of history. You remember Achan? Joshua? They go and they defeat Jericho and they are on this high. God is with them. They don't even need to fight. They just walk around and the walls fall down. But Achan takes a piece of Gold and a piece of cloth that the Lord had said, Don't take. And when they go to fight the city of Ai, much smaller than the city of Jericho, the people of God are roundly defeated because of one man's disobedience. And he wanted stuff. And people died because of his disobedience. Solomon, one of the wisest men in the Bible, became corrupted because of his great riches and his concern to be like the world. Go to the New Testament. Man, you want to talk about the church growing, you got the day of Pentecost, boom, people in the church, all kinds of things to work out, people selling stuff to provide for everything that's happening. And a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, lie about how much they sold their house for to make it look like they're giving everything to the church. Oh yeah, we sold it for $15,000, really $30,000, but what they don't know won't hurt them. And they pocket the money and they want to get a tax write-off for the full thing. And they lie to the apostles. You remember what happened? Right in the middle of the church service. Boom. Are you lying? I ain't lying. Dead. The love of stuff is a disease that can strike any of us. And it's true that a Christian in the world, no problem at all, but the world and the Christian will create all kinds of trouble. And the truth is, Jesus gives us a a, a key to this whole warning. And you see it back in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves. Laying up is not sinful, okay? If laying up was sinful, then Joseph in Egypt, storing up the grain, is the most sinful person in the Bible, Laying up, storing up is not wrong. The question is, what is your motive for doing it? And if you could be an extra on the television show show Hoarders, you're not doing this the right way. There's a difference between laying up selfishly earthly treasures for your own benefit and storing up others' centered heavenly treasures. Did you notice in verse 19 he says, Do not store up for yourselves earthly treasures. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves heavenly treasures. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Don't store up, store up. When you store up heavenly treasures, can you think of one heavenly treasure you can gather in that is not of benefit to someone besides you? Think of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're storing up joy for yourself, does that affect your relationships? If you're going to store up for yourself... Kindness. You're going to stockpile kindness. How does that, what, what does that do to other people? When you store up heavenly treasures, you're not being selfish. You're actually becoming more useful to God's people and to God's kingdom when you store up rightly. For the church, the greatest danger is not outside. It's inside. The greatest danger, listen, God has told us, there is nothing, not even the gates of hell that will prevail against the church. There is nothing outside the church that will win. So it is not not communism. It's not Islam. It's not Obamacare. It's not the stock market. The greatest problem for the church is a lack of spirituality and a desire for materialism. We will sell our soul to the devil for a sale. Two for one, got it. And we won't ever ask God what he wants us to do with his stuff. And so if the first danger is a misplaced heart, we're longing for earthly treasure, not spiritual heaven. The danger here is a misdirected eye. We're not looking in the right direction. We're allowing our eye to direct where our treasures are focused. And friends, if we've got a wrong view of material things, we've got a wrong view of treasure, it's because our perspective is messed up. And if our perspective is messed up on things, it's messed up on everything else. It's not just on money, it's probably on a great deal many things. You probably have a wrong view of yourself. You probably have a wrong view of how God intends to use you. You probably have a wrong view of judgment. You have a wrong view of God's blessing. And so when your eye looks in the wrong direction, it's not good. So Jesus concludes this by warning us in these ways. Because we have to make sure in all these things that we have the right master. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The truth is, you just thought that Baptists didn't bet. You just thought that Baptists didn't bet because the tendency for church people is for all of us to put a little wager. You know what the wager is? I bet you, I bet you, I can have earthly uh, earthly treasure and a heavenly heart. I bet you I can have this and still love God. I bet you I can do all of these things, earthly treasure, heavenly heart. What does Jesus say to that? Hogwash! It's absolutely not true. Jesus blatantly denies this. You see, we may trick ourselves into saying, you know what, I can play the game. I can can ride the fence. But the truth is that eventually, one or the other will assert its claim to be the treasure. And there won't be any more shenanigans at that day. Because your allegiance will no longer be divided. It will be clear where your heart is. And you fool yourself to go against our Lord and what he says. John Calvin says, where riches hold dominion of heart, God has lost all of his authority. Once you allow your heart to long for things that God says should not fill it, God has lost his authority in your life. And that's why when we're told by Jesus to store up for ourselves spiritual treasure, when we find spiritual treasure, Jesus says, go big. Get as much as you can. Listen to Matthew 13, 44 through 46. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again and from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Friends, you are looking for treasure this morning. Every single one of you. Now, you might not be, you might not be a seeker. You might be the guy in the field that stumbles upon it. You're not looking. God just in his grace puts it right in front of you. Or you might be the, 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 the jeweler who is looking meticulously for it. The point that Jesus is making here is when you find spiritual treasure, when you find the gospel, it is worth everything. What dollar amount would you fix to knowing God? And so when we find spiritual treasure, Jesus says, back up the pickup truck, brother. Get you a U-Haul. Break out, the, break out the suitcases. Borrow other vehicles. Get as much of it as you can. Because the truth is, we cannot claim Christ as Lord if we have allegiance to anything or anyone else. Do you want a who or a what to be your owner? Something owns you. Your debt, your stuff. Something is your master. Something claims your allegiance. And Jesus says in this verse that you can only have one. And the danger here is a misaligned will. If you cannot with integrity say that Christ is your Lord, friend, the only option for you is that you are an idol worshiper. No, you don't bound to, down to a statue or a block of wood. But you've attached yourself to wealth and detached yourself from God. You've allowed your, bl- your vision to be blurred and to be preoccupied with earthly, worthless treasure, and you've rejected true and eternal treasure. You've allowed your uh, value system to become confused by elevating something to supremacy that is only the rightful place of our crucified and resurrected Lord And Savior. Only Christ should reign supreme in the lives of his purchased people. The truth is this if you spend your life accumulating things that will not last, there will come a day when you don't have anything at all, no matter how much stuff you have right now. So the challenge this morning is when Jesus says, lay up for your, don't lay up for yourselves or lay up for yourselves. Do you know what he's telling you? You, this morning, have a decision to make. You have a commitment to commit. You have a, a, a fork in the road before you. And Jesus only gives you two options. You have two treasures to choose from. You have two perspectives on life to live out. You have two masters to claim allegiance to. Which do you choose? Pray with me, please. God, provider, Lord, and master. Savior, protector. God, we we can sing about how you are everything to us. And yet we can leave church and forget about you within five minutes. So Lord, I pray. Lord, there are so many different people in this room with different issues going on in their life. Only you know at a very deep level how to apply this to everyone. Lord, I, I pray for those of us that are doing pretty well with our decision-making. Lord, that you will help us to live more clearly with you as Lord, that our very lives testify to the truth of the gospel. Lord, may we, may we use stuff like we're laying up heavenly treasure for ourselves, not storing up selfishly things that are ultimately worthless. So, Lord, that's one of my prayers and one of my invitations is that we will recommit to you as Lord. But, Lord, there are others here this morning who um, perhaps are uh, trying to work out this little bet, trying to get earthly stuff but have a heavenly heart. Lord, I I pray for them that you will help them to stop playing games. I I I pray the beauty and unimaginable value of the gospel will be so clear to them that they will gladly sell all that they have to have it, that they will commit themselves to you, that they will learn to trust you perhaps for the very first time. Lord, we know that this altar is for people to do their work with you, whether it is to pray privately or to come for counsel. But Lord, as we sing, I pray that your spirit will draw whomsoever will come. In Jesus' name, amen.